Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice, this podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Cam Pitchers or Joel Shackleton have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. I forgot one thing. What'd you forget? My Packers jersey, uh, my Packers helmet. I know I yeah. promised to bring that this week. You know, what, after I'm, our unbelievable win, I came yeah. in just all modest and humbled, saying, "You know what? And it is the Cowboys' year. We're just the youngest team in the league. What do we know? We're not going to be able to to handle yeah. this. Maybe we put up a few points, but we're not going to be able to do it in crunch time." Little did I know, mm-hmm. we have our third franchise quarterback in a row, and he's going to take us to the promised land. And now I'm overhyped, thinking that we're going to be able to go the whole way which is probably not going to happen but a good consolation prize was seeing your misery and the misery of all cowboys fans last weekend yeah congratulations <laughs> if i'm anything i'm a i'm humble in winning and losing so yeah, you just you. the good thing is is that you just assume a, a loss going into basically everything it's true i had so many eagles fans send me well Stephen a memes just oh yeah basically everything and I want them to now, well, no, now they do know the feeling of what it's like to be a Cowboy fan. And it's not as far far as a fall from grace as it has been for the Eagles. And in that, I find solace. So I'm happy. Just like when you assume that you're in the mud at all times, then Mm. it's like, yeah. But when you're flying as high, not, excuse the pun, for the Eagles, (laughs) it's that much more disappointing. Yeah, it's really fun because it's my least favorite fan base in all of sports is the Eagles fan base. And they're true fans, which I appreciate, mm-hmm. but they're unbearable. And this city of Edmonton has a lot of them. The Eagles, for whatever reason, in our age generation, has the largest coverage of fan base for sure. Donovan McNabb, like all the guys that would have yeah, been we were big gro- stars like when we were growing teenage up. Years. Yeah. I think that has a lot to do with it. And they have been relatively successful. And they have a nice jersey, good team name, come from like a rough and tumble city. Kind of similar to Edmonton. Yeah, blue collar. Yep. A, lot of, a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. But I dislike them. Yeah. And great experience. I, I said I didn't want to bring this up because I didn't want to jinx anything. But yep. I do now see why people hate the Cowboys. Because I went to the Toronto Maple Leaf game. <laughs> and those people. Unbearable. Well, it's just not. I can see why it's annoying. It's The, the annoying thing is that. You don't really get a feeling until it's same thing with Cowboys fans. Like when we were so Joel and I, you, we went to a Packers game last year, Packers mm. Cowboys, and that whole that stadium. You walked in, you're like, "This guy's like at least half Cowboys," and I was like, not willing to admit it. I'm like, "No, no, it's not that much." And then same thing with the other game against, and and it's the same with the with the Montreal Canadiens and like all these historic teams, right? 
And it's like you just don't you don't get a real sense of the 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 breadth of their fandom mm-hmm. and what that brand represents based off of how like entrenched it is in in people's family history, et cetera, right? And that goes doesn't matter what sport we're talking about. It's no. when you have these teams that were, you know, the OGs, it's just it's just crazy to see how much comes out of the woodwork and then you're just like, Well, this is my team. Gosh darn it. I don't want the rest of these fans like like ten percent of the fans being whatever is fine, but fifty yeah. fifty, it's tough to stomach yeah, sometimes. That's enough. It's but enough. at least we won. And one la- before you jump into the markets this week, I just I told you this just before we started uh, recording here. And so again, one of our favorite sports follows uh, Joe Pomp on on X earlier this week said NBC was streaming. So the not even the most exciting game of the weekend, the Chiefs Dolphins game. Uh, definitely not like must see TV by any means in terms of a football game, in my opinion. Well, you knew who was going to win that one. You knew who's exactly. You know who's going to win it. The script is is put in place. So Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes meet in the second round, but which we love. But NBC said twenty three million people streamed the Chiefs Dolphins game on Peacock, which again NBC's streaming service shatters the previous NFL streaming record of fifteen million and makes it the most streamed event in U.S. history. He says, safe to say, we'll be getting more streaming exclusive playoff games in the future. So, obviously, I mean, we wouldn't have... The Golden Globes weren't the most streamed, that. No, interesting. It is crazy to see. Like, again, like, this is the... I mean, again, NFL in a vacuum. We always, you know, we're always shattering records with, with the most... Uh, I had an argument Yeah. with a group of people that I respect. They're very smart. Wait, an argument? I always argue, don't I? Um, these people are not sports fans. Not, okay. They wouldn't be defined as sports fans. They're definitely more cultured than I ever could imagine to be. But they argued with me that the music industry is more important to culture than sports in North America. And I, I couldn't come to, to agree with them. Because I think today, there's nothing more impactful on culture than sporting. And I, they're kind of intertwined to a degree, even though certainly right? there's definitely um, like that. The uh, entertainment blending. factor. Yeah. I mean, where you have and I think this is in large part why the NBA has grown so quickly is the visibility of um, celebrities on the on mm-hmm. on the floor within during games. I mean, and they're usually fans of each other. You know what I mean? Like I mean, your most represented players are are fans of I mean, like yeah, Jack Nicholas on the on the floor. You got Drake. You yeah. Got, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's there's endless overlap there. Same thing with football. I mean, you see Taylor Swift obviously having a big impact there. Swooning over. Yeah, Taylor Lautner. <laughs> I don't even know. I didn't even has he been in a movie in the last decade? Was on the was on the sidelines at the Lions game. Yeah. Eminem was singing Lose Yourself during uh, Yeah, that halftime. was cool if anyone saw that clip. Yeah, that was really um, neat. But nostalgic. I still of am of the opinion that sport is bigger than all other cultural impact. What and now what are the argument on these folks that you were talking to? Are they like what kind of like music as a whole? Like one or? of them can't even name more than five football teams. Yeah, which is like I mean, it's mind blowing for you and I, and for maybe like the no, it makes sense. Like it's like if you were to go and talk to your mother, does she can she name twenty five football teams? Like no. no. Uh, although I have a friend who can name twenty five players on every football team. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and this, this it's specific like any, it's guy, a, he, he can name, like, everybody from the royal family. Right. 
it's just a microcosm of what it we've said a thousand times on this podcast about the yeah. fracturing of things and Super what what brings people's attention to the table. I get I can get on board with the fact that music as a whole or that industry as a whole does shape you in some which way, shape, or form. Like I mean, for sure in your formative years too. Like I mean, the amount of music that we or the amount of time that we would have spent downloading streaming creating cds like whatever it was like to create music to be in like be a part of our lives mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's like it does a, it definitely a, it's like a heavily invested thing and even like now in our in our uh 30s we still spend a lot, a lot of time curating music to or some form of entertainment in our day to day so I, but I don't don't think it's like not it's not at the forefront like it's it's one of those like subconscious entertainment things where it's like yeah it's always there yeah I guess I do always listen to music but it's not something that I'm basing my life around because like I think yeah. from an event style thing on music I think it's I don't think it's close to agreeing with or being on the same level as sports personally. no but it's it's also individual it's not teamed it doesn't have the the same sort of um, the ability to bring together tribes in a way in which sporting mm -hmm. does. And that's where I believe the momentum loses, it loses some momentum. So I think that's a little bit of why. But with that said, I think it has, it definitely spreads across a larger swath of population. Mm -hmm. So tough to say. People are definitely crazier about sports than they are about music. And, or at least more people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. there's no gambling on, on, yeah, like how long is Taylor Swift's concert going to be over under three and a half hours? Like, you know who's betting on that? Only a sports person. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. What What are the lines tonight on Christmas Day <laughs> that I can bet? Yeah, uh, only a degenerate 33-year-old <laughs> with two kids would possibly be interested in betting that. Um, so I'm going to move into the market, like an opening market rant here. So the year has, I guess we'll say the, the first three weeks have, have come to a wrap and it was tumultuous, a little bit um, volatile. We're digesting a crazy move off the October lows. And a lot of participants, I mean, I, I was listening to the portfolio um, project. Our, our portfolio team at RBC, it is uh, incredibly deep. And we had um, a big conference in Toronto this past week. And the, in that conference, they talked about what they kind of foresaw going into the year and through 2024. And across all the commenters and, and managers, and, and um, they kind of came to a, a fairly similar conclusion at the end of it all. Everyone's fairly midterm bullish, short-term fairly cautious. I mean, it's easy to sit in, that, in that, that camp, but I see where they're coming from. And right now, we are living through that. However, I want to point out something that's pretty important, and it's effectively that all of the leading most important sectors of the S&P 500 or just North American equities in general have continued to maintain and make new highs. And that's through and into 2024. And that's important. So technology, which is 50% of the NASDAQ and the largest contributor to the S&P 500 is breaking out to all-time highs again. And that is in the face of, well, I mean, interest rates that are continuing to stay sticky. You have mm. pretty, pretty sticky inflation in the United States and in Canada. We had a 3.4% um, inflation print this past week. And in, in the market, it seems to be digesting that 
fairly okay. Home builders, again, probably one of the more important sectors in, in the United States and in Canada, and they are, again, breaking out to all-time highs. This relative strength is really important to identify because if you're going to see markets trade down, you would expect all of these, these sectors to also be leading that direction. They carry you up, they carry you, and then they take you down. And then you see rotation into what people consider to be um, cyclical or very defensive sectors. So mm-hmm. um, semiconductor, same thing, all-time highs. Um, TSMC had crazy guidance yesterday, up 8% on the day. Um, I don't anticipate that we're going to get any sort of additional pain until we see a reversal in, in these, these leading groups. Financial, same thing making new all-time highs that is i've never seen a recession without financials also going down so Mm. um we'll continue to monitor that i'll obviously every week i'm going to cover it but i just wanted to point that out this is not me saying oh we're going on a 20 percent ripper here it's just i don't think that the and i've been talking to a lot of advisors across the industry kind Mm -hmm. of thinking no we should get a 20 percent correction here and i just don't i don't see at least in the short term, where that's going to originate because it's not it's not poking through. Um, but yeah, pay attention to the U.S. dollar, pay attention to the leaders because that's where it should show up first um, and uh, make your decision from that. Uh, moving on to the next subject. I mm. uh, don't know if you watched the <clears throat> the Microsoft Copilot or read anything about it. A little bit, yep. Um, for those that don't know what Copilot is, effectively it's this umbrella brand for the Microsoft suite incorporating um, OpenAI's technology. Think of it as like the refreshed 2024 version of the little stapley guy from back back in the (laughs) day. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's actually pretty much what it is. They should... That's the only brand that was interesting that Microsoft ever created. (laughs) I think it would have been cool if they would have brought that back in some capacity. They should still. Yeah. Was it was it uh, Clippy or something? Like paper Clippy? I don't know. Yeah. I, I can I can vi- I envision it in, in my head, but I can't. For those who are Toy Story fans, I just always think of Forky from the Toy Story. Yeah, you gotta have I kids thought. to remember Forky yeah. too, though. <laughs> what was that? Uh, Toy Story Two, I think. Or Four. His last one. He's he's was like it? the new guy. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And then Woody yeah. goes off. With the, yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> um, but the reason why I bring this up is because I listened to an interview with Bill Gates. A lot of mm-hmm. people hate him, whatever. He has a um, a, a pretty interesting podcast. It's like 35 minutes. Objectively time. has done well. <laughs> <laughs> done pretty good for himself. Whether or not you like him or not, I don't care. He is a genius. Anyways, he interviews who would be or could be top five most influential 30-year-olds in the world. And, and Sam Altman, who is yeah. the CEO of, of OpenAI. And the interview is during that tumultuous time when they were... Um, Firing and then rehiring Sam Altman. And this was just prior to that. So he's doing this interview, not knowing that this is coming. Mm. And then it's released post. And in the interview, it's it's really kind of interesting to hear these two people kind of talk back and forth between the time in which Bill Gates got to see CP or chat um, chat GPT-3, mm-hmm. um, which was a couple months earlier than the rest of the world got to see it. This is effectively when they started to make their investment and foray into OpenAI and start to give them the infrastructure they needed to 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 really ramp up and go to 3.5 and 4. Right. But in the interview, they just talked about where it's going. 
and how it's going to integrate into your lives and small AIs versus large AIs. Mm -hmm. Think about um, what do I mean by small and large, but small effectively is like, okay, this chat GPT is all encompassing. It can answer any question, but it doesn't do it into the depth and clarity you might want it to. Mm -hmm. But the idea of small AIs is the compute required to answer questions would be best used and more efficiently used if you were to pick a single task, task or, or general or thing just for it. Niche. Yeah. So call it medicine, yeah. which is obviously very vast, but relative to the put, entirety of the world's information, it's small. Yeah. Put some rails around it. Yeah. Put some blinders on it. I, so that way you can dive in deeper rather whether than getting into it. Yeah. Canadian tax law or mm-hmm. um, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That's the idea that they're they're coming coming out with. And if you combine this with CES and the a lot of the technology that was focused on at that event, you can see where the the directional arrow of progress is here. And yeah. it is definitely niching down small AIs that have less requirement for um, LLMs. And if and if it's me, and this past two weeks you've seen Microsoft now become the most valuable company in the world, surpassing Apple, three trillion dollar business, has incredible momentum. You have Copilot, which is charging twenty dollars a month US, which if you think about all the seats that are sold each year for for yeah. um, Microsoft, that is quite the uptick. You consider that this will also require their cloud AI, which is Azure. The business model has a lot of runway, and then you can. Comp- Pair that with Apple, which has um, just experienced a year of negative revenue growth. They've seen a saturation of, all right, I think a peak of their hardware sales. Mm-hmm. They don't, we don't fully know the direction in which they're going to go. They're depending on the margin expansion of of their app store in terms of producing more revenue, or mm-hmm. not revenue, but rather earnings. And you have, you can see why these have now switched places. You have momentum on one end, and then you have a stagnating business model on the other. While obviously we're talking about the two greatest companies in the planet, yeah, you, it's all you relative. Can see why yeah. this is all this is starting to they're they're changing places in the in the horse race. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that these this idea of small AI is where um, Apple's opportunity lies, and mm-hmm. it's interesting because I've made this argument, and I think honestly, I just like taking the other side of things more so than I like being right. I just like to be arguing something because it's not very fun to agree all the time. And I had this um, this conversation with a friend <laughs> who's been an Apple investor since like the beginning of his adult life. And obviously he's done incredibly well doing that. And I was like, man, why do you, why do you continue to own it? It's like not even growing. He's like, dude, they'll come up with something. And I was arguing the other side of it. Sure. And then I'm having this conversation <clears throat> now and I think, okay, we have Apple's situation where they have one, the greatest hardware in terms of um, its use case, its ability to make people feel safe, especially make them feel good about themselves, signal wealth, all of these things. They, yeah, especially in the individual brand. like market, like mm-hmm. the individual consumer market. I would agree, hundred percent. They own the wealthiest group of of, of consumers in North America and, and Europe. All those things are are the reason why it's the second largest business in Earth. Yeah, but I think what's under the radar that people don't think enough about is their their um, their silicon, which is like their M1 
Mac in M2, M3 are incredible. Like, yeah. I I run a ThinkPad, Lenovo, in my work life. Mm-hmm. And then I have my Mac that I'm on right now. And the 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 they're, they're not the even compute powder, or The compute power is not even... It's un- so much better, it's yeah. shocking. And that can be said for the silicon that's going into our phones and iPhones and same with iPads. And when you think about that and then start to, to understand that the reason why we have what is perceived to be a, um, a ceiling in, in um, the artificial intelligence LLM space, mm-hmm. it's, it's based off of compute and it being on-premises. So a lot of this compute that we're doing through ChatGPT and their, and their open AI or their app is through the cloud which means you kind of have to send that signal up. It's going to be slow. You're going, a lot of that is a headwind. Apple has the ability and does this better than anybody because they, they own the entire stack all the way through the OS, the hardware, and then now the silicon. And they're going to be able to throw an LLM onto your phone and it can be precise and completely built around you. Mm. And that to me is incredibly powerful. You don't need to have the entire information of the all of the internet on your phone if you are an accountant or if you're a lawyer or if you're a, a physician or if you're anyone a financial advisor or if you're like a i literally adriel you know like yeah. it you can have it built around you and you're going to build this small llm yeah and you're going to be able to upload it to your phone it's going to run so insanely fast because you have focused silicon that is built around what it's trying to produce and apple's going to be able to deliver that to you probably on a monthly subscription or whatever, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> that to me is probably where they're headed. They have been incredibly quiet. But yesterday we had a blowout projection from, from Taiwan Semiconductor. Apple has all of their silicon built by Taiwan mm-hmm. Semiconductor. And um, they're projecting a huge forward-looking year largely on the backs of NVIDIA and probably Apple. And I think that that has a lot to do with it and their plans. People are focusing on the Vision Pro. I wouldn't get so, so hyped up about that at the moment. Um, I don't, did you see Marcus Brownlee? I did. He's like, man, this is heavy. <laughs> <laughs> over Holy, and over and over This again. is really heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, again, I, yeah, that, that piece being the, I guess, you know, page one news story right now for Apple on x or on whatever platform you're reading about like that's what's being talked about with vision pro and mm-hmm. and whatnot and then yeah take that and compare it to what we're talking about with microsoft and it's like right now i mean you, you had mentioned obviously the the sit down interview with sam altman that's all over the all over the place and then the uh, the the comparison quote i think it was when um when jobs when when apple took over microsoft in terms of largest market cap and mm-hmm. Now comparing that to what has now happened with Microsoft. So it's all talking about Microsoft's new lease on life, call it, in the space and how it's onwards and upwards kind of thing. And Apple it is talking about a product and not necessarily its advancement into this new AI world that we're or AI supplemented world that we're talking about. And in the back of my head, and then what I think you just mentioned is like, you know, yeah, maybe they're they're laying low right now in terms of, but whatever, when it does come out, and I feel like this, there's been a long history of this now, 
Yeah, they're always late to market best. And it's going to they're just going to be yeah, improving on whatever it is and making yeah. it that much better for what their main, you know, consumer is. And it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. I think that makes a lot of sense the way that you describe it in terms of, you know, just building something into the they already have us all locked into these devices that we carry around. What are they going to what are they going to make available at your fingertips that are going to make your life that much easier? Um, or make our lives that much easier in comparison to having to try to institute something from a Microsoft Google related app into our Apple phones and our Microsoft computers and our Apple personal computers at home, et cetera. What was it going to be that's going to link everything together? Um, one thing I did want to get your thoughts on just as you were talking there was in terms of the yeah you say like okay well everyone has the lenovo computers that are a part of a you know fortune 500 company or whatever like no no one or to my knowledge anyways a lot of those companies no one's running apple no one's got five thousand apple computers at everyone's desk and or even for that matter five thousand microsoft surfaces on their books kind of thing right it's always like some kind of discount provider obviously where you can get this but then run the os through it for and as you put it no one in any if you're if you need 5000 computers or 500 computers in your company no one needs the full compute power <laughs> no right i don't i, I'm, I mean yeah, yeah. To, i know there's definitely instances out there there's a lot of waste there's a lot of waste yeah. that's right so the fact that microsoft now is going to have this i i'm going to be interested once it's available for me cuz i mean, we, we talked about how um, I had seen a few things just internally through my firm on some previews, let's call it, of what Copilot's going to look like and how potentially we're going to run it and whatnot. And I, I am going to be really interested to see on the, I guess, holistic front on the, obviously, Microsoft's not really going to care because they're going to get their, they're going to get their cash on their monthly subscription on all of this. But like, truly, what's the use case? for all for co-pilot in everybody's day to day and what's the who's the most successful using it like there's gonna be those use cases where it's like okay well now we've dove right into using this and these are all of the things that we've actually been able to become more efficient on and everybody's um, ability and that's just my the chance for it i agree i just i'm just wondering on who's gonna actually do it and the learning of it and all that kind of stuff yeah like i think because that's the thing is like i mean we're i i can you're part of a big firm i'm part of a big firm there's a lot of people out there where you're just you feel inundated with the training of things okay we need to learn how to use this technology we have we use something where it's a you know you can run pdfs through this um through this platform and then you're able to snip out all the information that you need rather than having to manually mm-hmm. clip things out in it so it just it'll just automatically recognize what it is put it into an excel form or a word form or whatever it is that you want and then you can just self-review it to make sure okay yeah this appears accurate or whatever this is what i want we've like the training on that has been it's always like staged i would say in most companies where it's like okay like you know you're gonna have like three sessions on it it's just that like I guess what I'm trying to get to is like the exhaustion that comes with change management with anything. Mm-hmm. And the most successful ones obviously are the ones that keep things the most simple and how it just integrates. And so I feel like Coolpal has probably got to step up because everyone already feels comfortable for the most part with the the Excels and the words and the 
teams at this point and and those types of things where it's I like know okay a lot of people that aren't but yes right but i i just say i think because it's, it's an integration into an existing rather than a bolt-on thing mm-hmm. that's coming over i can see it being more successful and i'm just yeah once this is maybe you know a year year and a half in i think it'll be a cool topic for us to to look at again to say okay well here's all the success stories and here's how you know an accounting firm has really made this useful in 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 their use case or here is a you know small painting and art outfit gallery that's used this in in their use case and made this really successful for their day-to-day and taking all these things off the table that they used to have to do and and whatnot so i think that's what it's to me it's just going to be how it all shakes out because again it's not like microsoft is dependent on having to sell this anymore like it's it's going to sell itself in terms of okay well this is just something that you can add ten dollars to your monthly subscription fee and you have all this access okay sure whatever yeah we'll do that on a yeah we'll do that on a go for a basis so it's and i guess the sorry and then I, I said i had a question or wanted your thoughts on something was that is this stranglehold that microsoft has i guess on the corporate world at least that's how i view it mm-hmm. is there any chance of that ever changing mm. Good question. Because I don't, I don't think Apple cares. My, I, I assume Apple doesn't care. They have no interest in it. Yeah. It's not actually a, that's not part of their strategy. You know who's trying to um, eat that pie? It's actually Salesforce. So their acquisition of Slack was a big press yeah. into this space. I think it's more interesting of a opportunity for Google than it is for Apple. Apple is still very um, creative focused. They're, and that's more so around their branding and the way in which they want to be perceived. They want to be perceived as as the Fortune 500 company mm-hmm. um, that services the Fortune 500 company. Mm-hmm. They're definitely they're trying to service the individual, mm-hmm. own the wealthy, own the the, the that type of person. And yeah, that, that and the startup entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and Salesforce kind of plugs in there, right, mm-hmm. as that um, enterprise stack for the Apple device holder and. You think about maybe the transition of culture into these new tech startups. I think a lot of people assume that um, Silicon Valley and what it produces in terms of, of new business will stay within the, the Salesforce stack and Slack and Google, um, their suite. But I mean, Excel is still so much better that it steals that that market once they get to size and scale yeah and that's until there's something better or rather rent it they render excel useless it's going to be very hard i think to make a case for microsoft losing its its hold on that larger enterprise Mm -hmm. because as it sits today the scaling fast growing business is better off with salesforce suite and and google right up until they get to get big and then they they move over, and then now they're they're in, integrated into um, the Microsoft suite, and then that's then compatible with with uh, what's um, what's his name's company. I'm blanking on. Anyways, it doesn't matter. But that's my perception of it. I could be very well wrong about that. And then Silicon Valley displaces all of the large um, incumbents, and Microsoft's toast. But mm-hmm. Microsoft continues to improve as much as yeah. I think that their their 365 suite's kind of antiquated in many ways, and Word is kind of 
eh. It's still improving. Outlook is by far and away the best email app, and it isn't even close. And I actually believe that um, social, um, the social platform that Microsoft owns in, in terms of LinkedIn, and then um, their Outlook app and, and Excel, there's nothing even close to those for the, the professional. So good luck. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just my, my thoughts on that. I want to transition to something that we've predicted. Yes. To an extent. Amazon is bailing out Diamond Sports or Bally Sports. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of tell me a little bit about like what Bally Sports owns? Everyone knows what Amazon owns. But yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe the, the entire um, portfolio, I guess you could say, of Diamond Sports. And But we talked about it previously. I think we referenced Bally's, which is like their sports banner on their regional sports networks. And we mentioned, I guess it was back in the fall, essentially, when the discussion around their bankruptcy um, uh, filings kind of came to fruition and started to be talked about more. And there was obviously all of the, even I guess maybe last spring talking about, it, I think actually if we kind of reverse a little bit and talking about how like, you know, there was the risk obviously of just certain sports teams, regional rights just going off the air and everyone kind of, you know, being there one day and gone the next but we had you would I, I I will give you credit here. You had kind of talked about well, who's going to step up here, uh, you know, fifty cents in the dollar, or ten cents in the dollar, or whatever it's going to be, and be able to take this opportunity to grab the content, grab the production rights in relation to what this, what Diamond Sports or what Bally's represents. So this was an article from I think the Associated Press. I saw it on my Score app. In, in relation to, to this article. So I'm just going to read this verbatim a little bit for, for folks. So Amazon will partner with D Diamond Sports as part of a restructuring agreement as their largest as the largest owner of regional sports networks looking, looks to emerge from bankruptcy. Diamond owns 18 networks under the Bali Sports banner. Those networks have the rights to 37 professional teams, 11 baseball, 15 NBA, and 11 NHL. So to give some context there, that's you know anywhere from approximately one-third to you know, half of the regional sport rights on teams in any of those leagues based off of the, the number of teams in each of those leagues. Diamond Sports has been in Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings in the Southern District of Texas since it filed for protection last March. The company said in late 20, in a late 2021 financial filing, it had a, had debt of about $8.7 billion. The terms of the agreement were announced by Diamond Sports on Wednesday morning. Amazon had no comment right now. It's remained subject to approval by the bankruptcy court. The agreement with Diamond Sports' largest creditors allows it to emerge from bankruptcy, continue operations, and prevents a total collapse of regional sports network system, a regional sports network system where the NBA, NHL, and MLB would have to step in to take over production and distribution of most of their teams. Last season, MLB had to take over production and distribution of the San Diego Padres and Arizona Diamondbacks after Diamond let rights payments to the Padres lapse and was unable to agree on an amended deal with the Diamondbacks. So obviously there, there was a couple cases where, you know, some things have changed. However, um, you know, for the most part, obviously they were able to renegotiate or push, kick the can down the road with a lot of their agreements with a lot of those probably being, you know, multi years into the future in regards to the production rights. So probably I'm sure a lot of teams or even the league in some, um, some cases were not in a position to be able to take over. So it's like, okay, well, I guess we'll, we'll just see what happens if this is your plan to, to restructure or get somebody else in here. 
Uh, under the terms of the restructuring agreement, Amazon will make a minority investment in Diamond and enter into a commercial arrangement to provide access to Diamond's content via Prime Video. Customers will be able to access their local team's content on Prime Video channels where Diamond has rights. Pricing and availability will be announced at a later date, of course. Regional sports content will also remain available on cable and satellite providers. Amazon Prime already carries some New York Yankees and Brooklyn Nets games, for example, uh, produced by the Yes Network, which is, again, is a local sports also network. Also the WNBA. Correct. Mm-hmm. Diamond has also agreed in principle with Sinclair Broadcast Group. I'm not sure who that is exactly. To settle pending litigation between the two companies. Okay. So Sinclair had had bought the regional sports networks from the Walt Disney Co. for nearly $10 billion in 2019. Disney was required by the Department of Justice to sell the networks for its acquisition of 21st Century Fox film and television assets to be approved. So something, I guess, a little separate here. So let's, let's just digress here for a second. Amazon, I mean, you had kind of uh, sloughed off a comment to say that uh, uh, Bezos got um, basically got told to go home from the NFL ownership groups and no one would approve him as a, as an owner when he was getting, trying to get after the commanders there lost to his, one of his buddies. And, um, at the end of the day, he's now, he's just, he's looking for other ways to, he's going to buy all of the sports. And then exactly funny five (laughs) years ago, I used to talk about, try to compare the wealth of, of Jeff Bezos to Mm -hmm. via the, the valuation of sports franchises and that he could buy all of North American sports when he was at his peak. And it uh, looks like he's going to do it um, <laughs> but through it, Amazon. And it, it, it'll obviously be like, this is something that could potentially just completely fall flat. Totally. We don't know, but I don't see why he would stop the, the incentive here makes all the sense in the world. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of articles I've been sort of reading through and it, they all seem to think that prime is in this, heated competition with netflix and disney and that could not in the same space it's just not the same actually and the the incentive here is is quite a bit different because of their vertical integration and the the actual reality of their business and Mm. obviously people think of amazon they think one day delivery to their house or two day delivery um that's a big portion and quite honestly that is their moat um if you ignore where most of their their earnings come from, which is their um, Amazon Web Services, right? So what they're doing here is they're trying to create a instance where they have or own your home and entertainment inside of it so that you can be top of, they are top of mind when you go to do anything. And um, having that prime membership be the most valuable annual fee that you pay is everything to them. And they'll be able to leverage up and down the stack that that membership and your inclusion into it and your willingness to just take choose convenience over going to stores etc and that'll be how they integrate your mom and pop store is no longer opening up direct to consumer through a box and down the street they're all opening up amazon shops they are your strip mall so this is how they do that and to me as we'd mentioned earlier on in this podcast sports is culture in our in our in north america and i think that having this and owning this and it being the only thing that we watch live um outside of obviously everybody has their streaming that they're watching whenever yeah it's difficult to advertise into that market this is still the best place yeah it's where culture is cultivated because of its scarcity yeah and owning that scarcity is very important to them so not to mention the fact that i mean 
to give them the Diamond Sports the money that they need is pretty small investment. Well, it's an eight billion dollar um, obligation for them in terms of what they're committed to those. As being a part of exactly, yeah. Like obviously, they're not even going in with that much because they're only getting a minority investment or whatever it might yeah. be. But at the end of the day, too, it's like you you don't have to now. I, I guess I wasn't sure, quite sure how the on the NFL side of the productions they've been doing Thursday night football for two years now or whatever. Yeah. I'm not sure what what kind of investment they needed to make on the production 1. end. One billion inter- and and to actually produce it is my understanding. So. Right. So. Uh, probably had to put more resources into that. Whereas with this, it's like, well, the infrastructure is already there in terms of, I mean, you know, maybe you want to make a few changes obviously here and there with, with things. Well, Diamond but- and Bali have effectively said, this is an unsustainable business model because we aren't able to generate the ad revenue required yep. in order to justify the fees that we're paying to own the rights to these 38, 37 teams. Mm-hmm. Amazon's like, we don't care. Yep. This is our Costco hot dog. <laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. that's effectively what they've decided. This is their loss leader. We're going to go and buy all these rights, these streaming rights. Where are you going to go if you're going to watch this spo- these sports? Not only that, you get to buy the whole entire stack of people that work for them. Mm-hmm. For the, I don't know, an entire six months, I talked about how like regional sports networks and, and their value, but then fleeting value. Well, they're, it's really hard to sell subscriptions for TV into, into um, cities, towns, into people. And they have all of these these um, workforces set up and brands built mm-hmm. around our, our cities and cultures that they're now effectively buying by, I don't know, paying, we'll call it 20 cents on the dollar for the debt that Bali's put themselves in. Mm-hmm. They're just bailing them out and being like, all right, okay, now we're going to be your boss. Yeah. It's a good strategy, I think. We'll see how it works. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Cam... I'm going to skip one of the topics I wanted to touch on, Excellent. which is the uh, franchisee thing. But um, Benson Boone just released his single on on uh, Spotify and on Apple. And for those who don't Yeah, you, know, need to, you need to explain this. Yeah, so it's beautiful things. I'm going to get Adriel to put in like the little 20-second clip of the song um, or the, the big part of the song that everybody is kind of creating a reel or a TikTok around. Mm-hmm. But soft launching music is kind of mastered or invented by Drake. For his three or four of his last albums, he's built his singles around what would be viral on social media. And it's interesting to see the evolution of this. Like whether it be like WAP by Cardi B or Tyga's wet or all of these um i don't know if it's wet it's i can't remember what the song was but where people were dancing outside of cars all the time mm-hmm. it was really while they were moving and then they get back into it um <laughs> these viral songs that people create around mm-hmm. then become a part of whatever we're trying to listen to and they always have that hot hook that is great for 30 seconds but it's completely different from what the beatles used to create in the 80s and 90s it's just a new oh, man. development around music. Yeah, I mean, there was a camera who it was the other day talking about it. I was listening to an old clip. It was a you know hip hop rapper, etc., from probably the '90s or '80s or whatever, talking about you know the change in culture around music and what it means to what you go in with the intent of writing a song to. Which I guess you can still do as part of your album, but it's like, mm-hmm. but the way to explode it is the approach that you're talking about, and even like 
I think it was Jack Harlow I was listening to one time too, or, you know, one of these new age kind of hip hop or pop stars. And even like the length of songs, how two we, yeah, two and a half. And it's like 50. all based off of streams, right? So it's like, if you can get more, if you can get a really good hook and a really good show song to use. And I'll show you the outcome. 100%. Yeah. So it's just, it's just like you taught, we let off the discussion today or partly talking about the culture of, of music and, I think what that is, it's still a huge part of our lives and like what it represents to different generations, obviously, um, like anything else is, is very different, but I feel like old man, you know, Abe Simpson shaking hand at cloud meme here a little bit, but it's like, even, and we, I mean, we're both professed to our love of, of Drake and his music and his career, et cetera. And it's, I think it's more him just like staying relevant and, you know, he still has that kind of mix of like, you know, writing and probably being very in depth with messages on his albums with a mix of being viral and wanting to be on everyone's TikTok and mm-hmm. content king. But it does really change the focus of of what music represents in our lives. Is it is it something that we, you know, like the in, in the, old, the old man that puts the record on and uh, has a cigar and a whiskey and just listens to music, listens to old jazz or whatever it might be? Like, are we going to do that with, like, do, do you shift into that? Do you, like, how, how does our, our feelings around music change? And it is, I mean, for the success of new artists and, or, you know, ones that want to stay relevant. Yeah. You got to catch this wave and have this as part of your marketing strategy and your branding over what, who you are as an artist. Um, I mean, outside of maybe some, someone like Taylor Swift who can kind of do it. She's so big at this point where you can kind of, she can do whatever she wants and still be successful. Yeah, but she did it by but harnessing this too. Like she's a country yeah, artist agreed. Now. She's yeah. a pop artist. Yeah, Why? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it her evolution yeah. as a woman? Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe yeah. it's just what works. Yeah. And it's so, so say. a little bit more about maybe this specific artist and maybe talk about the soft, the soft launch by what you mean by it well soft launching is it's kind of like creating buzz to an extent and on on if you're watching reels and then you had beautiful things was the background song for people making like across all niches of of video reels and tiktoks it was whether it be like home design or you're traveling through the mountains or you're experiencing your life with your child or some sort of dance that you're trying to attract a certain type of Mm -hmm. follower. All of those things were of the song because it had the right hook and it was talking about beautiful things and it had like a lot of um, energy to it. So that 30 second clip of the song ends up being a great background song and not only something that you want to listen to, but also continue to watch whatever it is that you're, you're currently on. Mm -hmm. And People then use that background song and then attach it to all of their creations and, and, and whatever they're doing. And it, it adds to their success, but then more so to the success of that song. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, he, for the last three weeks, it, it goes nuclear on these two social platforms. And it says in the song, unreleased. Right. Beautiful things, Benson Boone. Three weeks later, yesterday... At 3 p.m., he puts a video out on TikTok and, and Reels that this song goes or is is finally released on 
and you can hear the whole thing yeah. on Spotify and, and iTunes Music. And everyone's like, I don't care. It's like 20 seconds. No, Thanks. but now <laughs> I, I, I bet by the end of this month or next month, it'll be the number one song in the country. Mm -hmm. And that's because this is how you soft launch careers. And that's the compensation model because obviously nothing is flowing to this guy as a result of everyone using the content no. in their, or using the song in their content. No, not yeah. as, well, sort of, but not really. Like TikTok and um, Tencent Music, they do compensate based on these things. But anyways, that's not. That's what I was. My ignorant question was going to be, how does that get back to the artist? I mean, we've talked about the the chain in models. I mean, the, and the, I guess, never ending battles between, you know, music streamers, music, music producers, uh, record labels back in the day yeah. and the actual artists and how monies have always had a hard time flowing into the pockets of the artists themselves. the artists themselves and it's like i mean we're getting better at giving it to them for sure i mean i mean even just the the popularity change on obviously the, the competition level is insane but i mean in terms of the barrier to get your music out there technically it's no, no different than you know than you know some of the big sports or golf youtube channels all this kind of stuff like you can you can create a following with some luck and grinding and whatever it might be without having to have, you know, the huge label behind you or the yeah. huge platform behind you necessarily at the start. But still I'm, I can only imagine I don't have many friends in the, in the music game, but I mean the, the amount of the, the effort level to go in and the amount of luck that you need to probably break your ways is, is incredible. Um, but I can definitely understand. I mean, I, I'm sure, you know, my, 45 minutes or whatever that I try to limit myself of scrolling per day uh, on those types of things is, yeah, like, I mean, th those hooks, just that's what it is. That's what that's what our lives are curated to now are mm -hmm. the 30-second hooks and how, like, what better way of, I mean, it, I'm sure it happens to you too. I always still think of Shazam. I'm like, man, I need to Shazam this so I know what's on. <laughs> but it's like, you know, that information is just at our fingertips. It's like, oh, this is, you know, I like this. This is a catchy song or I've heard this three times now in the last 45 minutes. What is this? Okay, look at the bottom of the content. There's your, you know, there's the song. So that is a very unique, it's a very unique, I guess, traditionally, but it's obviously a wave now that lots of people have, have jumped on and it's, you know, a great way of, of making the inroads that you find the interest, building your brand, making yourself um, differentiating from how perhaps it's traditionally been done. And the other thing, just really quickly, is that it you you talked about how it's like okay, the song would mesh well with like okay, it's an interior design video, or it's about the you can you can be very broad with what that applies to in terms of the eyeballs, right? Whereas like traditionally speaking, if like depending on your genre it's probably going to be, you're only going to be looked at by certain people. Whereas like now it's like, you know, content creators might put your song on something that you would normally not ever relate to, or um, like you as the artist would never relate to or be a part of in terms of like what it is they're talking about or what they're creating around. But the song could just like make sense for them or they just like the yeah. song. So they're putting it in. And then it's like your the eyeballs that you're and the ears, I guess in this case that you're, in front of is never ending realistically why can't we just go back to beef like draw drumming up fake beef like 50 cent and kanye did back that, in the was day. that was unreal yeah, yeah which are album you buying <laughs> both <laughs> gotta uh, compare gotta yeah. see who who hit harder yeah you got any records for the uh not real i mean i watched the or kind of followed the emmys like it's award season or whatever the last like few weeks mm -hmm. with things and like entertainment wise so 
I know I'm super late, like, I mean, like five years late, but I finally started Succession. And that was just based off of um, You're lucky. me laughing at uh, Kieran Culkin, okay. I guess, right? At him and pa- uh, Pedro Pascal kind of going back and forth with jabs at their um, at their award ceremonies. So I was like, man, like I got to, I know it's been on my watch list for forever and I've just never, it's one of those, I mean, it's a 50 minute show or an hour it's long. show, and right? And it's, and it's something where I'm like, I want to, it's like Game of Thrones where like, I actually want to watch it. So started it, make four or five episodes in. So for those you know who too been, bad, you've seen all the memes. Um, kind of not really. Like I mean, and now it's good putting context to them because now, right. like before, it was just like, oh, this is the word that I want to say in my group chat, and right. this is kind of funny, so I'll put it in. <laughs> um, but ultimately, four episodes in, I mean, just love. I mean, I had an idea of what the storyline was previously, but awesome production, just like and like the dialogue is so good. The writing's very it's good. And you know what so, you'll, you'll end up appreciating is actually the, the fashion portion. Oh, yeah. And that has, I don't know if people are in menswear forums or anything like that, but the show itself got a lot of popularity from it. It actually oh. it was auctioning off outfits from the show. Interesting. Um, but, anyways, that'll be something. Maybe now you'll pay attention to it. But my For, favorite meme from it all is oh, is, is there's two. And there's the one where this, the oldest son, or no, the, the oldest expected air uh staring off into the sunset being miserable and then there's the other one where it's like you are not serious people i love you but you are not serious people i like so that kendall i think is what we're yeah yeah so or kenny um so uh my favorite from that is when he's like the working title is f off or whatever (laughs) (laughs) that's my favorite meme from it so anyways for those who you know may have or maybe thinking about or waffling on watching it or had not really heard so of it and so now good. now have done it. I think it's something that's and it's only four or five seasons too, which is like I love that. Like I love a tight series where it's not ten. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, we're not I'm not equating these two things, but like my wife loved Grey's Anatomy mm-hmm. when she was like in her, you know, in late high school and into her early twenties kind of thing. And we used to always watch that. And I mean it's nineteen seasons. And it's just like how, like now it's at the soap opera level or whatever, where it's just going to continue and like the following is the following kind of thing at the end of the day. And it's a cash cow, et cetera. But it's just like when you, when you love a show and then you can just really, again, fall, maybe you're sad about it ending kind of thing, but you can be like happy that it ended in a way that's probably appropriate rather than just like hanging on where, I mean, I know some people kind of equate that with, you know, a lot of the best shows of all time. It's like, I mean, Seinfeld is kind of probably the big best example of, of one in my, you know, what I like is that they, Jerry said, I'm going to stop on top. Like, I don't want this show to be remembered for hanging on. Mm-hmm. So I know some people don't love Seinfeld, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's. What's he doing with Curb? <laughs> last back. last, last season, season is coming, is, is starting. What do you I mean? Yeah. Go Larry. I mean, I, I can, I'll let Larry do seasons for forever. That's fine. Yeah, well, because it's just everyday keep, life. He keeps yeah. putting out hits. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you want my suggestion, mm-hmm. it's a podcast. Check the newsletter. Talk to you next week.